What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Welcome to Business on the Brink, a production from iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. It was the early 80s, and a successful young filmmaker named Steven Spielberg was looking for something sweet. He wanted to make a squat, gray, wrinkled, alien lovable, and part of that hinged on the critter developing a taste for candy. His first choice was M&M's, but when asked about it, the Mars Candy Company told Spielberg to phone home. No dice. He'd have to go with choice number two. This is Reese's on Business on the Brink. Hey there, I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten, and welcome to our spooky Halloween episode. Yes, it was an episode requested by my coworker, Ramsey. Who, who wanted us just to talk about uh, Reese's Pieces. However, before we get into that, uh, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun with this episode. And spoiler alert, we actually already recorded the whole thing. But in retrospect, we figured we really can't talk about this without addressing something that's much more serious. So we wanted to get that clear up front, which is that the the candy industry, a lot of companies that get chocolate are dependent upon extremely terrible, awful, inhumane practices, largely involving child labor and yeah. even child slavery. And, and there have been uh, regulations and, and kind of deadlines put into place to make chocolate companies fix that. Yeah. But they're having a hard time, they say, because they don't know where a lot of their chocolate is actually sourced, which seems pretty corporate irresponsibly yeah, type yeah. thing going on. Like, yeah. So th- this is some you may have heard of the phrase fair trade chocolate. That's, you know, obviously that's chocolate that's been sourced to a place that does not engage in these practices. Mm-hmm. But Hershey's, which supplies the chocolate, actually now Reese's is part of Hershey's. You'll yeah. hear all about that. Uh, but Hershey's, which has always supplied the chocolate for the Reese's 
uh, peanut butter cups is one of those companies. And so we wanted to make sure we acknowledged that before we go on to the zany fun of the episode, which I know is a big tonal shift. But in, after we recorded it, we realized we really needed to to address that because yeah. it's, it's something that we think is extremely important that people know. Yes. Uh, yeah. So now that we've got that, we're going to rejoin Jonathan and Ariel from the past who already recorded the episode. That's extra spooky. Yeah. Welcome to our spooky Halloween episode. Yes, we were trying to come up with a topic that would be suitable for Halloween. And while chatting with my coworker Ramsey, he said, you should do an episode about Reese's Pieces and how they ended up in E.T. when everyone, uh, M&M's is yeah. supposed to be in E.T. Yeah, but you know what, Ramsey? There's not enough information on Reese's Pieces. Also, a lot of people know that story, but we're going to include it anyway. Yes. But more importantly, Ramsey's awesome. His suggestion was yes, awesome. It is awesome. Thank you, Ramsey. And it led us on this wonderful trail to the... Business history of Reese's in general, yeah. which is pretty fantastic. Well, and it's it's funny because it's a history that was largely ignored starting in the late 70s because of the company that would take over Reese's because – well, we'll get there. I don't we'll get wanna, there. We'll get there. Don't spoil – no spoilers, Jonathan. Jumping way ahead. Jumping way ahead. All right. So let's start with that history. And it all begins with the founder of the company. Oh, and by the way – you might occasionally hear in this episode little crinkly noises because Ariel and I each have a Reese's peanut butter cup, a miniature one, the kind you would get at Halloween. It is so hard not to eat it yeah, at this very second. I know. I'm trying to hold off myself. Okay. So start with the history. Harry Burnett Reese is who we can thank for the Reese's peanut butter cup. He actually – I have in my notes he had aspirations of becoming a real-life Willy Wonka 40 years before Dahl would write that book. Mm -hmm. That's – being a little tongue-in-cheek facetious, but he was born in Pennsylvania in 1879. And by the year 1900, he had married a woman named Blanche Edna Heisen. And he started working as a farmer on the family farm at Frosty Hill, which is near Muddy Creek Forks. And in my notes, I wrote, this makes me think that this isn't one of the best spots in Pennsylvania based on the names. I mean, if it's frosty, then it, the mud's probably not, like, squishy. So <laughs> Slippery, muddy hill. That's where my farm is. <laughs> and he would end up working several different jobs uh, in, in his young adulthood. And he was – like, he got a reputation for picking up and moving with his whole family multiple times in order to pursue these opportunities. Eventually, he and his wife and now children – of which he would ultimately have several, yes. 16 in total, yes. would settle in Hershey, Pennsylvania, which I've been to. Have you been to Hershey? I have not. I have been to Pittsburgh. Yes. That's it. Yeah. So my wife's from Pennsylvania, and we've been to Hershey several times. It's also where the Pennsylvania Renaissance Festival takes place. I hear that's fantastic. It is. And Hershey is obviously a monument to chocolate. Even back then, Hershey's the, the chocolate company – was a thing. Yeah, but that's that's not where Reese started in Hershey. He started working at a dairy farm called the Round Barn in like 1916, 1917-ish. Yeah, but here's the thing. Round Barn, owned by Hershey. Oh. So, yeah, he technically <laughs> – he, he was – but he wasn't working straightly, strictly for the chocolatier. He was yeah, working – For the dairy farm. For the dairy farm. And so I was still right. <laughs> yes. So he worked there for a couple of years, but then Hershey's – uh, in a cost-saving measure, uh, closed 
that dairy farm in 1919. And so then Reese's went over to try and do some other stuff, including create his own candy company. Now, that initial attempt was the R&R Candy Company, and he was largely basing his uh, his recipes off of his mother's recipes, and they included things like chocolate-covered almonds and chocolate-covered raisins. Taking the things that kids don't want to eat at Halloween and dipping them in chocolate. Yeah, and uh, it did not end up becoming a huge success. And I mean, even at the time, like Hershey's was already a dominant player mm-hmm. in chocolate. We'll have to do a full episode on Hershey's yeah. at some point. But when you think of Hershey's, you think of Hershey bars. And he's fo- focusing, it looks like, on little like handheld candies. Yeah, he's looking for the stuff that would be sold in like the big barrels at a general yeah. store. Because yeah. this is also before, you know, grocery stores and department stores were really a thing. Yeah, so R&R Candy Company didn't do well. Mm-mm. And so he rebranded. Yep. He called the new company the Superior Chocolate and Confectionery Company, which yep. is superior to R&R Candy, I suppose. Yep. He tried to sell some stock in order to fund this business. But this also did not take off, and pretty soon he was closing the doors on that one. And not too long after that, he would go back and work for Hershey's again, this time in the shipping department, uh, which... Where he was sneaking little chocolate-covered raisins into everybody's packages. <laughs> yes, with a little note saying, if you want more of these, <laughs> go, go for Superior. Now, um, he did not find the work particularly engaging or interesting, but it was paying the bills. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, he continued to create different recipes for his own candy working out of his basement. That's – um. Hygienic. Basement candy. Mm. Well, here's the thing. I, I, you know, I, I will eat basement candy. <laughs> I will eat maybe everything but bathroom candy. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Well, you know why he was making it in his basement? It's because this is before air conditioning. Mm-hmm. So the temperature would get too warm, uh, especially during the summer months. Like in summer, they couldn't make chocolate at all because the temperature would be so warm, they could never get the candy to set properly. It would always be that kind of sweaty, melty stuff. So the basement was the coolest room to work in. So you could heat up the chocolate, mold it, and let it cool and Mm -hmm. set there. So that's why he set up down there. Yeah. So I think it's really cool that uh, some of the candy he was making, he named after his kids. Yes. Right? Yeah. And not only that, but it was the successful stuff that he was making. Yeah. So that this is what would actually help establish him and convince him to to make a real go of it yet again. So, do you know the name of the candy bars? Well, I do, Jonathan, because it's right here in our notes in front of me. Okay, let's not – don't peel back the curtain too far. I'm sorry. Okay, no, there's the Lizzie bar, which was uh, caramel and coconut covered in chocolate. Uh, sign me up. I, You know, I first read it and I was like, mm, but I could totally see mixing a Snickers and an almond and a Mounds bar, and I'd be happy. So, I love yeah, yeah. and I love coconut so much. Just, together with the caramel, took me by surprise for a little bit. Yeah. And the other one was the Johnny bar, which is made from molasses. So I guess similar to a sugar daddy, maybe. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and so he had sixteen kids, as I mentioned in total, uh, eight boys and eight girls. Uh, they tragically not all of them would live to adulthood, but. You know, he had he had so many kids and every single history has a similar joke about how the chocolate business was a necessity because of his large family. 
And uh, they had a great advertising slogan that would come a little bit later down the road, but I wanted to include it now. Ariel, could you please deliver that slogan? 16 good reasons to buy Reese's. Yep. They would have a picture of all the kids lined up. So essentially like saying... Guilting people into exactly. buying their buy, candy so they can candy. support their kids. Exactly. Buy candy so we can feed these children. So... Uh, this was enough for him to be convinced to give a, another go about mm-hmm. actually starting a candy company of his own because these these chocolate bars named after his kids were starting to see some success. And so once again, he quit his job at Hershey's and he founded the H.B. Reese Candy Company in 1923. And, uh, you know, he was already selling candy at this point. And that was enough for him to actually make a living. So now he was just creating the company to make that his full-time gig. Yeah, and and the candies he was making around the time were things like peppermint creams and coated dates and things like that. Yes. Still in the, the raisins and almonds arena. Yep. Uh, and he, as you said, he was he was trying to sell them in like the general stores in the barrels. So he sold them on consignment to local shops in Pennsylvania. Yep. And by 1926... He made enough money to build a new house, probably because he ruined his basement in his old one. That's an assumption by me, Ariel, but I'm sticking to it. And also enough money to build a factory. Yes. So now he's like hiring people. He's making he's making these candies in uh, in larger amounts. And by hiring people, um, I think you can imagine what much of his workforce was made up of. That Oompa-loompas? being his children, which is almost the same thing. <laughs> That's- I don't know if they would sing songs about, you know, being greedy or chewing gum all the time, but they definitely would work for him quite a bit. Uh, We'll get back to the family issues a bit later. So in 1927, Reese happened to fall into a conversation with a local shop owner who was telling Reese, you know, my customers really like these peanut butter cups that this other candy company, this other candy maker is making. Yeah, yeah, in your face, Reese. Yeah, so so peanut butter cups, chocolate-covered peanut butter cups were already a thing, mm-hmm. okay? Reese had never made them, but they were they were a known quantity. So yeah. Reese did not invent the peanut butter cup. Um, and But he was being told by the shop owner, the problem is this candy maker can't make enough of these peanut butter these chocolate-covered peanut butter cups, to meet the demand my customers have. They are always asking for them. So do you think you could make some? And Reese wasn't super crazy about this. Just he Mm -hmm. didn't – that was not what he was really interested in doing. But he thought, well, there's a demand. I should definitely try to meet that. So he got to work. And um, he started roasting his own peanuts, which for a long time was like the thing that Reese's would say set their peanut butter cups apart Uh from everyone else's. Yeah, uh, but that's because he almost burnt his peanuts. Yeah. uh, Apparently, according to the histories, there was a malfunction in the roasting equipment, which over-roasted the peanuts almost to the point of burning them. And then he ended up turning it into peanut butter anyway. Mm -hmm. And – it was a happy mistake because it produced a peanut butter that people found particularly tasty. Yeah, but imagine when you're trying to cook peanuts to a certain level and then you overcook them and now you have to overcook them that exact amount every time yes. to keep your – to maintain like a standard. Yeah, it meant that once he fixed that roaster, he had to figure out how to replicate the effect with a yeah. roaster that was actually working properly. And then he covered the burnt peanut butter – in Hershey's chocolate. Yes, and this would be something that uh, is an interesting, interesting kind of simpatico relationship because 
Throughout his career, Reese would use chocolate from Hershey's. He would purchase the chocolate from Hershey's, Mm -hmm. and Hershey's would send him the chocolate needed. He and Hershey had a good working relationship. It's it's not uncommon for confectioners to outsource their chocolate from other people. Yeah, and so this was one of those cases where uh, this was not even a rivalry so much as it was like like just – two different companies doing business in the same area, Mm -hmm. but they both realized there was enough room. Plus, I mean, Hershey's was operating at a level far beyond what Reese was doing at (laughs) this point. So then um, he introduces the peanut butter cup. That's not what they were called originally. Nope. They were called penny cups. That's how much they cost. Yep. One cup of penny. One penny a cup. That's also also It's the same. It's the same. I mean, it's it's a good exchange rate. (laughs) When you said one 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 cup of penny or uh, however you said it, I just pictured someone like throwing pennies into a cup. That's fair enough. <laughs> oh. That's fair enough. <laughs> Which you weren't incorrect. My brain just went weird. Anyhow, we, sorry. We actually have the date that they debuted too. It was November 15th, 1928. Uh-huh. Are you certain? Because oftentimes dates are shaky. I mean, sure enough to put it into the notes. <laughs> That's super awesome. To, to be fair, yes. The, the history's state, November 15th, 1928. It could, give or take, five years. Yeah, but for once, we're not getting so many conflicting reports yes, on the date. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he originally sold these peanut butter cups in bulk, mixed up with all of his other candies Yep. in five-pound bags. But you know what? People like the peanut butter cups better than the chocolate-covered dates. So. Yeah. And so, again, Reese was not super thrilled with that. He, he was not a fan of mm-hmm. the peanut butter cups, but you got to give the people what they want. Uh, So he would continue to make them, and eventually it would take a couple of years, but eventually it got to the point where he could make them solely on their own and sell those uh, as a separate item as opposed to being one item in a five-pound bag Mm -hmm. of bulk candy. So they got popular enough where they could stand out as a single item, which was unusual at the time. Yes. And then – We get to a brink moment. Yeah. um, So this was a brink moment that was not unique to Reese's. It was not something (laughs) – go ahead and unwrap that candy, Ariel. I'm I'm not going to eat it. I'm just unwrapping it. Okay, that's fair. She really – she literally is. That's not not us doing sound effects. She really did just do that. Anyway, so this brink moment was a brink moment that happened to the entire world. This is not something that was unique to Reese's. And that a moment would be, if you're keeping track of what year it is – the Great Depression. And it was almost enough to bring the story to an end, and then we would have two segments of nothing. But we've got a little more to explain right after this break. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melody, 
Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of Melon Leaf stem cell technology. It's Melon Leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. So the Great Depression hit... Re- you all right over there, Ariel? Yeah, I'm just trying to eat started before I'm done with this peanut butter cup. Okay. All right. I wasn't going to eat it, but um, it smelled really peanut buttery and good. How, I can taste those burnt peanuts. Was it good? Mm. Okay. I need another one. Uh, well, this one's mine. Origi- no. <laughs> Originally, guys, I wanted to just bring this giant bag of Reese's peanut butter cups and see how many I could eat throughout the— uh, the episode? The episode. Yeah. But it, I'm sparing you all of that smacking noise. If you want to take that challenge on yourselves, please do. No, so the and great— And then let us know how many you ate. <laughs> yes, you can— But don't tell us how much you threw up. Ariel will uh, keep a tally, and then as a reward, we'll name whoever ate the most at the end. <laughs> but be honest, all right? We don't want you saying, I ate a thousand Reese's peanut butter cups. No. Okay, let's get back to the story. <laughs> The Great Depression really hit Reese very hard, and he was so short on cash— that according to the stories, he got to the point where he wasn't able to pay his employees in money, so he paid them in candy. I, I mean, I would be happy. I mean, but his employees were his kids, right? Well, some, some. of them. No, I, yeah, that's, that's you know, fun in theory, but not very practical. Yeah, you can't pay your rent in candy most of the time. And his employees complained, and the sheriff even came after him, and he went into hiding. And uh, Yes. It kind of reminds me of the Ozarks. <laughs> yeah, he, he ran off to hide at his old family farm while the sheriff was looking for him. Uh, so things were pretty grim. And he decided that in order to, to make it through the hard times, 
that he actually would go back to farming, especially in the summer months, because, again, it was too warm to make the candy. Yeah. Uh, so he ended up putting his workers to work doing stuff like canning vegetables. So people who had been making chocolates were now canning like – Maybe they'd know. make those canned uh, lima beans taste better. Yeah, I like I like lima covered, beans. Chocolate covered lima beans. I would eat those. <laughs> uh, he also would end up in order to keep his business afloat. He secured several loans to make sure everything was in operation. Now, obviously, that in itself meant that he was taking on a big risk mm-hmm. because now he had debt he needed to pay off. In addition to just making sure that he could make ends meet. You know, day to day. Yeah, but here's the thing: people still really liked his peanut butter cups. I guess they brought him a little bit of joy in the midst of all this financial turmoil. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where it was a luxury that people were willing to pay for on occasion, and it was relatively affordable. Yeah, it wasn't like it was super expensive. So the peanut butter cups were incredibly popular and kept him in business. And by 1935, because of that popularity, he had actually made enough money to pay off all that debt. So it it was only a few years that he had this debt over him. And then literally Mm -hmm. the peanut butter cup was what allowed him to to get out from under it. Yeah, but you know what? He still couldn't give up on those chocolate-covered dates. Not for a while. No. Until World War II. (laughs) He was stubborn, yes. Yeah. So the Great Depression kept all of his other – like he he was still making other types of candies. Mm -hmm. But the the World War II was a different story because during World War II – the United States government put strict rationing on a lot of different staples, like including sugar. Exactly. And so with sugar under this rationing, Reese was not going to be able to make uh, enough of the candies. Uh, however, one thing that wasn't rationed was peanut butter. Mm-hmm. So that meant he had plenty of peanut butter and he could still buy chocolate from Hershey's. Hershey was still a- a- agreeing to sell Reese chocolate. So that meant he could still make the the peanut butter cup. Yes. And ultimately he said, all right, well, the only thing that makes sense is to just make peanut butter cups. And it was a good decision. It kept him in business. Yep. So he keeps on churning these things out. And at this point he has um, really focused specifically on just making peanut butter cups by the mid-1950s. Uh, it had gotten to the point where they were going to need to expand again. They were going to need to build essentially a new factory that they had outgrown their old one. And uh, they decided that they were going to actually build this thing and it was scheduled to open in 1957. Like that that was kind of the target Mm -hmm. of when this would come online. But H.B. Reese himself would not live to see that come to pass. He would pass away on May 16th, 1956, one year before the new facility would come online. Man, that's really sad. But what's even sadder is the fact that he left his company to his sons. Yeah. He excluded his daughters. From his will. From his will. Yep. And then his not all of his sons, all I guess eight of them, six of them? Six of them. Six at that of point. them at that point wanted the company, so there was all of this infighting on whether they should sell it or keep it. Yeah, the sons didn't all get along with each other, and yet because of the will, they were each named to different positions of authority in the in the company. Mm-hmm. So get six people who don't like each other, 
and then tell them they have to lead a company together, you can imagine that's not going to go smoothly. No. So, yeah, there was this whole thing about who, whether they should keep the company, whether they should sell the company. They had built the manufacturing facility. This was an interesting thing, too, because it shows how how Reese's was interesting in its marketing. I mean, you know, they had done the 16 good reasons to yeah. buy a Reese's. They had gone from marketing uh, Reese's as being sort of a hand-dipped candy to now that they have the new manufacturing facility saying, untouched by human hands, which also makes me think of Willy Wonka. Which kind of makes it go from like a little home good feel to a super technical candy of the future feel. Yes. Uh, so... By the time the 1960s rolled around, it, it was pretty obvious that her that Arisa's sons were not going to be running the company forever, at least not all of them. And so this uh, – because some of them were looking around at the possibility of selling the company off, mm-hmm. they looked specifically to Hershey – because and Hershey Hers- and Hershey had heard about it. Yeah, and Hershey already had a stake in this candy. Yes, so the, the company Hershey takes a look and says, "All right, well, we'll make you an offer." And this ended up being a big point of argument amongst the sons. And then ev- eventually, they came to an agreement and they decided to sell to Hershey's. Um, and and the ones who wanted to stay with the company became employees of Hershey's. Yeah, some of them joined the board of directors for Hershey's. And then the others kind of went their own way. Yeah. Uh, And it would become one of the best-selling candies out of Hershey's. That's because it's delicious, y'all. Yeah. Now, we're going to skip ahead a bit in the story because, I mean, ultimately the story is like, and mm-hmm. they kept making Reese's peanut butter cups, and yes. people kept buying them, and they kept eating them, and then they kept making them, et cetera, et cetera. Seven years pass. And now we get a very famous ad campaign, which I remember from my childhood because it was still going when I was a kid. But we're into the 1970s now. And this was a campaign that would ruffle some feathers among people who knew Reese mm-hmm. and who were familiar with the history of Reese's. Uh, there was a guy named Billings Fuse, a, a, uh, who was a director at an ad firm, that said – all right, we're going to do an ad campaign where people are going to accidentally create the combination of chocolate and peanut butter. According to him, he was saying people just aren't convinced that chocolate and peanut butter is a good combination. Which is crazy. The whole reason that Reese started making them is because the candy was selling out. Yeah, there was a demand and it had been in demand for for like four decades and they it was a it was a, an obviously successful candy yeah well, i mean it was one of hershey's best sellers too but for the basis of this ad campaign they wanted it to look like hershey's had come up with this brand new idea almost by accident mm-hmm. you know you so, just accidentally got peanut butter and chocolate colliding together yes and that's exactly what the ad campaign was it would be it would be all these different scenarios where someone's carrying like a chocolate bar and mm-hmm. someone else has got like you know, a spoon of peanut butter as you normally would. And then through happenstance, the two collide and you get some variation of, hey, you got peanut butter on my chocolate. Hey, you, you got, got chocolate, chocolate on, on my, my peanut butter. And then they they try it and they're like, say, chocolate and peanut butter. Who knew? Everybody. And yeah, that's the thing. Everybody I, knew. I mean, I do have friends who do not like chocolate and peanut butter together, but – I have former friends who do I, not like chocolate. I respect them. I don't understand it. It's yeah. okay. If you don't like peanut butter and chocolate together, 
We still love you. Yeah. So maybe you could argue that you know, this was their first national ad campaign for Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Really, is the first national ad campaign for Hershey's in general. So you maybe you could argue that these particular chocolate-covered peanut butter cups were mostly known in the Northeast and the, the regions around that where Hershey's was shipping this stuff and that maybe nationwide it wasn't as big a deal. But this changed that because whether you agreed with the ad campaign or not, whether or not you were upset that Hershey's was effectively erasing the history of this peanut butter cup and therefore also of H.B. Reese, mm-hmm. the campaign was a su- success and sales skyrocketed. Yes. Okay, now we're going to skip ahead to 1977. Yes. And Hershey's was working with a peanut butter powder. Yes, this was different than the peanut butter in the cups. Yes, they took all the oil out of it. Yes. So it's dry. Uh, Yes, and that way they could mold it into shapes and use it as baking chips and things like that. Uh Uh-huh. And then they could cover it and cook. I was going to steal that from you, Jonathan. He's eating the Reese's, and I'm jealous. So he would cover it. They'd cover it in candy coating. And uh, they had these powdered peanut butter candy-coated things mm-hmm. that they needed to market to push. God, you know what? But we're going to get back into that. I need to take a break and find another Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. I'm going to lick the paper. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's full regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon 
Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of Melon Leaf stem cell technology. It's Melon Leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. So this peanut butter flavored powder that Hershey's had created had a consistency similar to chocolate. Mm -hmm. So again, it's not the same stuff that was in a Reese's peanut butter cup. You can say that again. And it was it was meant to be used in stuff like baking Baking. chips. Yeah. Yeah. Where you don't want the oil because it'll ruin the consistency of your batter. Exactly. Ariel is, by the way, in case you do not know this. An incredible baker. Oh, gosh. Thank you. Uh, I've only been able to sample the stuff she's baked on a couple of occasions. It's always phenomenal. I need to make you some of my peanut butter shortbread cookies. Yes, you do. So they introduced this this candy-coated peanut butter powder stuff in 1978. And um, they had already introduced a candy-coated like chocolate mm-hmm. years before, but M&M's had that market sewn up. Yeah. So Hershey's had gotten out of that. Which is smart of them. Yeah. So in this case, they're like, well, this is different because it's peanut butter. It's not chocolate. Yeah. And they needed a name for it. So they settled on the amazing name. PBs. Yeah, PBs. Did, Which, not, did not really strike anyone as interesting. Um, as I mentioned, they had already had a previous uh, candy-coated chocolate that was called the Hershey-Ets. Also not a great name. Yeah. And then they realized that there was a problem with the name PBs. And it wasn't that PBs was not capturing the imagination. No, Skippy has a PB Bites sort of product right yeah. now. The problem that they ran into was PBs would be very hard for them to trademark. Yeah. So they needed to come up with a different name so that they could trademark it and make sure that they protected their their intellectual property. Yeah, so they called them Reese's Pieces, which I just want to say is a huge misnomer because if you go to eat a Reese's Pieces expecting the same wonderful flavor you get from a Reese's peanut butter cup, you're going to be sorely disappointed. It is a very different experience. It doesn't have that salty, umami peanut butter flavor. Yeah, and you're missing the oil too, which does make a difference. Now, And all of the chocolate. There's yeah, that's true. No there's, chocolate. there's no chocolate in a Reese's pieces. But also beyond that, there's literally no connection to Reese's, mm-hmm. right? Like it it wasn't made by Reese. This was not this was not a a, a peanut butter powder that he had It created. has none of the same ingredients really. Yeah, well, I mean it's got peanuts, but you know, peanuts. but not like the peanut butter. Exactly. So it's this is where they ended up using Reese's name as a brand of its own rather than there's no connection to the man Reese. But then, to be fair, oh, this isn't really fair, but to to illustrate why Hershey's had largely, you know, erased Reese's history in their mm-hmm. marketing. So the name really didn't mean anything anyway. It was just a name. It was it was it was something to grab people's attention of, oh, I like this one product, so I'm gonna like this other one too. Yeah. It was a brand. Um and it did really well at first. Yep. It was like, you know. Brand new candy, so it got people's attention and sales were pretty good. But then after that initial burst of popularity, the sales kind of flagged a little bit. Which was problematic because Hershey's was investing in new manufacturing facilities yeah. for it. So they they really couldn't afford to have declines in sales. Uh, it, it's not unusual to see a new candy like 
come out of the gate swinging and then, which is mixing metaphors, but then <laughs> uh, I'd love to see a horse come out of the gate swinging. They're like, wow, that horse is angry and fast. No, it, but coming out of the gate, going full tilt and then slowing down, that's not unusual. But yeah. they were worried that the rate of slowdown might be an indicator that they could end up with a very medium you know, mediocre kind of performing yeah. candy. Yeah, they wouldn't make back all of their investment into it. And so this is where we get to E.T. Yes, the opportunity of E.T., the extraterrestrial. So Amblin Productions was making this movie, and there are different versions of this story. So uh, there's a lot of he said, she said mm-hmm. kind of stuff out there. And there's a lot of stuff where people are just making assumptions. But we're going to try and give the general gist of, of what happened. Yeah, so uh, Spielberg wanted the main character, Elliot. 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 Uh, sorry, we did that to you guys. To use candy to basically get E.T., the alien, to trust him. Yes. Uh, this is the famous trail of candy that was lampooned in uh, Family Guy with uh, James Woods, as I recall. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, mm-hmm. piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. Yeah. yeah. Originally, that candy, they wanted it to be M&M's. Yes, and so they went to Mars because— Another thing they were hoping to do was do some product – like actual product Product placement. placement, Which which, was not common. Yeah, that was a brand new idea really in the early 1980s. The concept being that, uh, hey, we're going to use your product front and center in our movie and in return, we will get some form of support from you. Yeah. In this case, they were really looking at marketing support like – ad campaigns mm-hmm. that would tie into the movie and thus help promote the film. They weren't looking for production costs, which is what a lot of product placement does now. Yeah. Adam Sandler movies. Yeah. Oh, so many movies. I watch so many TV shows where I'm like product placement, product placement. Yeah, where all the labels are very conveniently yes. pointed straight at the camera. Or, or certain shows will just flat out they don't even try to hide it anymore. They're just like yeah. commercial in the middle of the show. Anyhow, we're getting off track. One of the stories says that the president of Mars, who owned M&M's, didn't think the film would be successful, and that's why he said no. Yes. There are other stories that say they were nervous about any sort of movie about an alien because the movie Alien had come out not mm-hmm. too long ago, and it scared the pants off people. And so the thought was, well, I don't want our candy to be associated with something like that. Yeah. Um, whatever – the reason is, whether it's one of those or something entirely different, what we do know is Mars passed on this opportunity. Yeah. Then the next part of the story goes that a VP at Amblin turned to his son, his young son, and said, what kind of candy would be best to lure a- E.T. out into the open if M&M's isn't available. Smart move, Amblin VP. Yes. And his son said Reese's Pieces, which the VP said – what? what? Yeah, he had never heard of the candy before. And then Universal slash Amblin would reach out to Hershey's with essentially the same offer. Although, according to at least some stories, they actually shot a sequence using Reese's Pieces before they even talked to Hershey's mm-hmm. and essentially said, here it is. Would you like to Would you like to be part of this? Other versions of the story say, no, no, no. Jack Dowd who was director of new product development over at Hershey's, flew out, got to see a bunch of very early stuff about E.T., but not like a finished sequence, mm-hmm. and then was convinced that this was going to be a good idea and that they should be on the ground floor. So he said, yes, we will do that. And then he had to go back to Hershey's 
and convince everyone at Hershey's that it was a good idea. Yeah, that we're going to spend money on marketing for this film so that we can also market our candy. Yeah. And people were not... It took them a little bit. Yeah, they were not totally on board. It was yeah. um, it was actually a a hard sell. Uh, there's it's it's funny because there are some stories that say he went to uh, to his coworkers and he showed them some early pictures of ET and they're all like, "Oh, he's ugly," and then <laughs> uh, it wasn't until they were able to watch a finished cut of the movie that they were like. Oh, as they cried their eyes yeah. out as any human being with a well, beating heart would after watching E.T. Certainly, certainly, which is why I don't watch it anymore because it's I, so beautiful. It's I, too beautiful. I think I saw it like five or six It's too times beautiful. But it was really successful. The, the sale of Reese's Pieces increased by 65%. Yeah, and that was early on. There's some figures that have that as high as 300%. Goodness. So it was – Clearly a great tie-in. The marketing campaign was a huge success. The sale of Reese's Pieces were so popular that it actually outpaced the sale of M&M's during Mm -hmm. that same time. Man, what a positive brink. Yeah, this is definitely one of those positive moments. And this is also a moment where some people will point to it and they'll say, man, Mars made a boneheaded decision. Can you believe that they passed on E.T.? Here's where I want to be a little fair there was no way of knowing at the time that E.T. was going to be a big hit. Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. had made some great movies already. He had made Jaws. He had made Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But he was not yet known as like a master filmmaker. And so there was no assurance that E.T. was going to really work. Yeah. So also you don't know if Mars even had the marketing budget that year to, mm-hmm. to put towards something like that. Yeah. So there are a lot of lot of factors that could have fed into Mars saying no that aren't just based on, oh, well, that movie's never going to work. Yeah. So. I, I, I think, one, it's important to remember where Reese's came from. So thank you, Ramsey, for suggesting this yeah. because it's so much bigger than the Reese's Pieces story. But also uh, th- this history kind of tells us that, you know, when you're hitting a hard time, look at what's working and invest in that. Yes. Yeah, it's it's an important thing to say, like, I could keep going with all my different lines of business, but if the if that's going to be a real big challenge and there's one specific part that's doing really well, maybe it's best for me to just focus all my efforts mm. there, at least for the time being. Um, another thing I would mention is that Mars did get M&Ms into E.T. in a way – because oh. in the novel version of E.T., E.T., it's still M&M's because the novel was written before the deal fell through. I didn't know there was a novel. Of course there's a novelization of the film. And in that one, it's M&M's, not Reese's Pieces. Fair so, enough. Yeah. Well, we have a we have a fun fact here. Yep, yep. Uh, we have uh, – if you've ever actually enjoyed or endured Reese's Pieces <laughs> – then you may have noticed that there's not as many colors as you might find in, say, a bag of M&Ms. There are, in fact, only three colors. There's orange, and there's yellow, and there's brown. And you're going to get way more of one of those than the other two. Which is orange. Yes. The orange makes up 50% of all the candy pieces that are made, and then the other 50% is divided evenly between yellow and brown. It makes sense because 
yellow and brown is the color of the candy, but when you think Reese's, you think orange wrappers. Yeah. So so that's that's why if you ever get Reese's and you open up a bag and you're like, man, there are a lot of oranges in this one. Well, it's because they make twice as many of them. Man, those. I hate when I get oranges inside my bags of candy. Okay, and I also want to clarify, and then we're going to let you guys go because we know we've gone a little bit long, that I don't endure Reese's pieces. I just needed to know the first time I tried them that it wasn't chocolate-covered Reese's peanut butter. Yeah. It would have been so much better if I had been prepared. Yeah. I, I Well, you know, I had a lot of Reese's pieces when I was a kid because, again, I, was, uh, I loved E.T. and that marketing totally worked on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these days, if I'm going to have something with Reese's name on it, it's going to be a peanut butter cup. Me too. Because they are amazing and I probably should not have eaten the one that I had. I'll just have to get on the treadmill for another like hour I'll be fine. Uh, Yeah. So while Jonathan's on the treadmill, if this story has inspired you uh, to think of topics that you'd like to hear us talk about, you can email us at feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show and let us know. Yeah. You can also visit our website, thebrinkpodcast.show. That's where you're going to find more information about the two of us, as well as an archive of all of our past episodes. Yep. And if you like listening to The Brink, please tell your friends, you know, give us a positive review. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Share the love because we're having a lot of fun covering these. Mm -hmm. And happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. All right. Well, uh, until next time, I am spooky Jonathan Strickland. I am creepy Ariel Cast. I'm gonna lick the paper. Business on the Brink is a production of iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.